Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 002. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this episode, we're going to explore one topic that can do wonders for helping you and your loved ones get through hard times. The answer may not be what you think. I won't keep the secret from you for long, so let's jump right in. Has anybody played within your lives Pictionary? Or the telephone game, or 20 questions by yourself. Those last two words kind of change the entire direction of that question, don't they? No, you can play 20 questions by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I bet you win every time, too, don't you? No. (laughs) (laughs) But those last two words by yourself can kind of take that. That introductory question, take it from eh, whatever, to completely absurd. These are games that are not originally intended, I'm guessing, for solo play. They're meant to be played with others. Maybe even in a group. The fact is, some things are just better with others. And yes, this even comes from the guy who has prided himself on being perfectly comfortable being alone. I mean, usually when the uh, four-legged alarm clock goes off at about 5.30 in the morning, I am often snarling back in her crate. Because honestly, with three young kids, sleep is is a priceless commodity. And... (laughs) Good, somebody agrees I am not alone in that statement. But the truth is, after I'm done with my snarling session. It gives me about an hour with just coffee and a book before the chaos starts. But the fact is, if I do that for a whole day, or maybe even a whole week or longer, as much as I may be comfortable by myself, then just kind of get old. Because the fact is, life is better, at least in some degree, when there's other people in it. So what do you say? Let's start provoking each other. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we worship you that you created us in your image, in that image of community, and wired us in that special way. So help us to be that community that brings glory and honor to you and lifts each other up. Amen. Well, last week, we started taking a look at Four habits that took this little band of early Christians and turned them into a history-changing movement that became the way, or became Christianity as we know it today. And we see these four habits out of Acts 2.42, when the church was just starting to form up. And so what they were doing, where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. Last week, we were talking about the power of the Bible, the power of the apostles' teaching, which I expanded to the idea of the Bible, and how we can harness that power to work in our lives. Today, we can call this the cookies and coffee message. I mean, that's what fellowship is, right? I mean, it's that sacred 20 minutes after I'm finally done and before Dave starts up or Marie starts up, when Bob is asked four times as he's barista in the the congregation, is this cup taken? Or the person who's behind the table 
offering refreshments of every kind of variety, is asked six times in the morning, this is so good, can I have the recipe? And I won't dismantle that idea but too much. Because Lord knows that's certainly a part of this idea of fellowship. But it is so much more than that. As we'll see in today's passage, Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. For some reason, the book of Hebrews is sticking out this, this series. Therefore, my friends, the writer says, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of, of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great, high, a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to, to love and to good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more so as you see the day approaching. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Today, this morning, we really, for all that we can cover in this passage, because the book of Hebrews is, is pregnant with, with depth and with meaning, we're going to focus on those last two verses. We talk about continuing to meet together, continuing to encourage each other. And with all the plethora of concepts that are within just these couple of verses, one idea really does stand out or jump out to me. That community is critical. And by extension, fellowship is critical. I mean, it was one of those kind of anchor points that, that held the church together, allowed the church to grow from this small band of people who anything probably could have broken them. But fellowship was one of those things that kept them together and kept them strong, kept them going. See, the Bible speaks nothing of this idea of solitary saints or spiritual hermits, but rather when it's describing people, constantly there is this these dozens of togethers within the scripture, that people are put together, people are joined together, people are built together. We are heirs together, we are fitted together, we are held together. That's just a couple of the examples. In fact, as God was creating humanity, and God looks down after he created Adam and he said, you know what? Something's not right here. Adam's alone. Now it's really something when the creator of the universe says, who designed the universe says, you know what? I need to tweak something. <coughs> this man alone thing is not, is not the right thing. And God fixes it. God creates another human being. And creates that idea or that Opportunity for community, that opportunity for fellowship, that opportunity to have one more trait that ties us into that image of God that we are created in, this God of community, in community with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and humanity that is built, wired for community. Community becomes all the more critical when you take a look at the setting that the writer of Hebrews is writing into. Listen to the, the words and the phrases that get strung together in this passage. They may not really jump out much, but again, last week as we were talking about the idea of slowing down, you start to pull these out and you look at them together, maybe something will, will click a little bit. These ideas of full assurance, hold fast, wavering, he is faithful, 
Now, in isolation, they don't give us a whole lot of, of perspective by themselves. But why would an author use these in kind of rapid-fire succession? What would he, why would he encourage these kinds of things or use these kinds of words? Here's kind of a modern-day equivalent of what the writer is saying. No matter what happens, I'm here for you. Everything is going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Now, do we say these kinds of things to a person when life is all lollipops and gumdrops? No. We say these kinds of things right before the stuff hits the fan and hits it big. See, how did the early church that was being formed in Acts 2.42, how in the world did they have fellowship without cookies and coffee? I mean, that's... The, about the deepest theological question a person could have of what Luke is writing about. Here's the fact they had persecution to hold them together. They had people coming at them trying to eliminate them as a catalyst for them staying together. In fact, when I open my Bible and I, I look to this passage, it actually has a title. Ironically enough, A Call to Persevere. You don't believe that to do the trick that persecution could lead to Unity, could you lead to fellowship? Well, let me put a little bit more context to this in how this book is dated, when this book is written. Probably uh, mid-60s AD, which for the church historians amongst us, just a few years later, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 87. Now that may not mean a whole lot to us that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, but imagine if the setting was starting to happen that the flag above the Capitol building were to be burned. Now maybe we're starting to get to where we would strike the same nerve. That temple being destroyed is kind of our equivalent of, or their equivalent, I'm sorry, of the Twin Towers or Pearl Harbor. Now let me ask you this. When those two events happened, what did the United States of America do? All of a sudden, one nation under God went to a whole new level of meaning. Now those were attacks. It's not, a, I don't have to do a whole lot of gymnastics to go from attacks to persecution and, and how the events are similar. But persecution, attack, brought people together. Kept people together. That's why the author is almost desperate in urging people to, to provoke each other to love and to good works. To, to encourage, to, to spur on, if you will. Because as the persecution is happening, as these people are, are facing heat for their faith, all of a sudden doing those kinds of things gets a lot harder. Hey, is this really worth it? Should I be doing this when my life is on the line, when my head may become separated from my body because of me claiming Christ as my Savior? If for no other reason, the author encourages people just to remind each other that they're not alone going through this. So we might not face persecution the same exact way that the early church was. But the fact is, we still face struggles. We still face hard times when it feels like our world is crumbling all around us. When we get the phone call. 
Don't need to elaborate on that. When you see the facial expression, you just know. When one instant in your life makes it will be okay sound like the biggest load of hogwash out there. The truth is we all love fellowship that feels good. You know, I will take a grande Briggs brew any day of the week and sometimes even twice on Sunday. But that's all kind of set up. That's all building foundation because the power of fellowship comes when things are not good. In fact, when things go completely wrong. I said that I was one who was kind of one for being alone and Rachel Certainly share that when she met me, what, 17 some odd years ago, I was, I was that a whole lot worse, even than I am today. And you know what, even before I met her, I was 10 times worse than that. In the sense where I was very, very comfortable being by myself, with no, and with no community around me. There wasn't anybody who would, was there to kind of check me on some of the habits I was getting into as I, some of you guys know my story of how I deal, dealt with lots of depression. And how I dealt with that, not having that community around me. They couldn't check me on what I was doing to kind of deal with that and say, hey, dude, this is a messed up way of dealing with things. Till one day, I decided I was going to take, take the lead. And I still remember it was the day before Thanksgiving break, my junior year. And I had one teacher who was meant a lot to me, really did a lot for me, and this event was kind of the catalyst of a lot of that. But I said, you know what, I'm going to tell this one person that I think I can trust about what I'm doing, kind of what's going on in my head, just so I'm not alone. I'm going to see if maybe somebody is trustworthy enough to hear this. And we're sitting at the desk. She was leading a study all in the computer lab, and she's sitting at one desk, and I kind of pull up another chair beside her. And I showed her what I was doing. And I'll, I'll spare you guys all the, the graphic details and everything like that. But that was basically a huge leap of faith. And she didn't judge me for it. Crazy as my mentality of how to deal with depression was, was. And as best she could, she tried to help me through it. And walk through it with me. And yeah, there was a point where I was kind of beyond her ability. I mean, you know, at a certain point when you're dealing with somebody with depression, you kind of have to be trained in how to deal with it. And we kind of got to that point, but she was willing still to walk with me. And even though this is about the smallest scale of community a, per- a person can have, two people, it's no less powerful in what it could do for a person's life. Paul uses the phrase, bear one another's burdens in Ephesians. And it goes underneath that, because sometimes you you even got to pick people up and carry when necessary. But I like what one, what I heard when I was kind of getting ready for this message, and this actually comes from a pastor's son, coming out of a 13-year-old who I'm going to hire as my wordsmith, because he just seemed to get it. The true community is when people unselfishly participate in one another's lives. To experience that power, it takes the willingness to be real. It takes the willingness to to take that step of faith, to say, you know what? No Botox personality, no Sunday best 
uh, this is what I think people want to see, so this is what I'm going to put on. Being willing to take that step that says, you know what, I don't have it all together. All the time. You know what? Spoiler alert. None of us have it together all the time. Now admitting that I admit is scary ground. Sometimes I have been in that spot and, and I remember kind of prepping myself for that conversation all day. Not being able to think about my classes. Great thing for a student to admit. But I remember literally shaking my boots in. And sometimes even today, with all the more practice that I may have of it, sometimes as I'm getting ready to tell somebody that I don't have it all together, my body starts shivering so bad it feels like my back is going to break. Because I'm so nervous about that idea. Because real community, being real, means allowing people in at those things underneath the surface. But that's where the power of it is. Would you imagine what a community that can do that looks like? Where people are lifting each other up, even in, even though they don't have it all together? When one of the, the, of the group is down there, they're picking them up. That they're using words and actions to put hope in another person's life? When a person can't come up with it all by themselves? I love that line. True community is when people unselfishly participate in one another's lives. You know what? You guys do this well. I'm not going to have something that says, hey, you guys need to do this better. Because I've seen it in, in other instances that I've shared with you guys and, and stories that I've shared with you about how you have been a people that will lift each other up. So keep doing that because you know it is more powerful than you probably realize. But if you're not experiencing that power, if you're the one who maybe holds up or, or hunkers down when things get tough, take that step out. Test that community around you. Let someone unselfishly participate in your life. You know, I was in that conversation and, and I was starting to have kind of regular conversations with this teacher, Mrs. Murphy. I didn't know how accurate this would be, but I actually called it. My junior year, I said, the fact that you are this kind of person who will hear me, who will listen to me, who will walk with me through this valley that I'm going through right now, because you're that kind of person, you are going to be the one who will save my life someday. And you know what? I hope you never have to tell me that I'm right about this in your life. But she did. And I'll save that story for another time, but because she was that kind of person who was willing to walk, she saved my life. And the cool thing is I got to tell her about that. Sad as it was that I got to tell her about it. But the fact is, it could save yours too. Again, I hope that you never have to tell me that I'm right about that. But that is the power of community. That's the power of fellowship. So might we be a church that takes that power and, man, we run with it. Thanks again for listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. Hey, if you have a loved one between grades 3 and 12 and you want to give them a chance to experience some real community, check out Camp Fowler. I served as a cabin counselor and a chaplain there for a few years, and while you never know exactly what an adventure of a week at camp will look like, you can bet it will be a life-changing experience. 
Check them out on Facebook or at campfowler.org. If you'd like more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org. Or if you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning. On next week's episode, you'd never guess that three letters would completely transform the direction of a person's life. Well, they can. I'm talking about a moment in the life of the Bible's headliner prophet, Isaiah. Join us next time to see how the same thing can happen to you on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.